Amen. Well, kiddos, if you came in and it's for you, you find your activity bag. Why don't you make your way up here in just a moment? We've got bags for you. You find your name tag there. Yes, you and you and you and you. Y'all can make your way up here. Adults and followers of Jesus, we have these um, communion packs that you're welcome to come and grab if you missed that on your way in, as well as some Bibles over here. If you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. And everyone who has a Bible, I'd love if you could join me in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. We are reaching the thrilling conclusion, the second part of our story here in Acts. That's the longest story recorded in the book of Acts. It involves a man named Peter and a man named who? What? Cornelius. We have reached the thrilling conclusion, and when we meet our man Cornelius, we are convinced that the good news really is going to everyone everywhere. You may recall that the book of Acts is the story of how the good news of Jesus is on the move to everyone everywhere. You know this? The way the Holy Spirit is orchestrating this movement of the good news to everyone everywhere is by building bridges between people who would have never connected otherwise. So if you recall at the first part of Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit of God sends a vision to my man Cornelius, which is like one end of a bridge being built in Caesarea. And then 30 miles down the coastline, Peter gets a vision. Now the bridge is constructed between Cornelius and Peter. So last week the question was, will they pay attention to God and what? Respond appropriately. Will they take a next step to actually interact? They did. They met. And now this evening they stand at the doorway So if last week was about taking a next step, tonight is about taking a huge step. In fact, it's about taking a step across a threshold. You know what a threshold is? Raise your hand if you've heard it. A threshold is the little strip at the bottom of a doorway. They're stepping through the threshold into some new and uncharted territory. Have you ever had one of those crossing the threshold moments? The moments in your life where you've come to this place and you take a big deep breath and you maybe put your hand on an actual door and you know that you know that you know that this next step, this next moment is a dramatic one into a new era. Are you kind of thinking, let me help you, how about like a job interview? Or maybe you got the job and it's your first day on the job. You know it, be real. You're kind of like in your best looking outfit and you're like, I gotta make a good impression and you're psyching yourself up and you take a deep breath and you take a dramatic step into that doorway when to everybody else it's just a Tuesday. But for you, it's a crossing the threshold moment. You with me on this? Maybe it's into a meeting or a a relationship 
We all have these crossing the threshold moments. We're going to see three of them tonight. We're going to see three of them that are big time, dramatic, surprising, with Peter, Cornelius, and with a surprise other. But three crossing the threshold moments. And as we explore these in the lengthy last half of this story, I want us to consider our own threshold moments set before you this evening, this week. You with me on all that? Cool. We're about to read the first part of the story, but because Amy's doing the announcements later, let me just go ahead and add this one. An emergency prayer vigil tomorrow at 2.30 for the Dallas Mavericks in Game 7. No? Okay. Then let's just read the scripture and get into our story. Sound good? All right. Amen and amen. We're going to pick up the second half of this story in verse 23. The next day, Peter started out with them. The them is Cornelius' servants that came looking for Peter. But then he took some of the believers from Joppa. They went along also. Verse 24. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. That's where Cornelius lives. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. This is a common way for people that were known as pagans. That just meant they uh, worshipped different and various gods. It was a way of showing honor and respect, maybe even worship. Which is why Peter responds with this. Peter made him get up and said, stand up. I'm only a man myself. Let's pause there. You'll recall that Cornelius had an angel tell him, find Peter, who's staying at Simon the Tanner's house. He'll tell you what you need to hear. So when you finally meet this guy face to face four days later, you're probably going to wonder, man, what's this guy's deal? He must be a superhero, right? Well, straight out the gate, they introduced themselves, and Peter's like, no, I'm just a man. But we're going to see that God is in the midst. Verse 27. While talking with them, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. What does that word Gentile mean? We talked about it last week. Nations. But God has shown me that I should not call any one impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. But may I ask why you sent for me? Verse 30, Cornelius is going to rehash his story. Cornelius answered, three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now, as he gestures to all his friends and relatives, right? We are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Let's hit the pause button there. We'll pick up the rest of the story in a moment. Last Saturday... Amy and I celebrated 11 years of marriage. Yes, and amen. Actually, last Saturday, we celebrated Grandpa Wood's 90th birthday. 
and my grandma's 90th birthday. But eventually we celebrated our 11 year anniversary. And I remember a lot about May 29th, 2010. As much of it that was a blur, there's still more that I remember. And one of the things that I remember the most is this feeling, this sense of like, this is big and everything is going to change. I remember talking to some of the groom's party and saying like, this is a game changer. Because I had felt that morning walking into the church that I was entering into this building one way, but that here in a couple hours I was going to leave completely different. Which is kind of funny because Amy and I took the long way around toward marriage. We had dated for almost six years, which I tell a lot of couples, I don't advise that, but we were trying to get through school and get our legs under us and to try to get our life together. So we were together for a long time. So in some respect, you're like, well, what's changing? It's the same person here, same person there, same relationship, through thick and thin. But something about that day, that wedding, this marriage we were stepping into really did feel like a crossing the threshold kind of moment. You experienced this? Felt this a little bit? I had a strong sense that I was going to leave different There's a reason I felt that way, and it's a reason that I say at every wedding that I officiate, like at y'all's and others. And what I say at every wedding I officiate is this. The God who created all things, that created all the things you can see and all the things you can't, is still in the business of creating. And as I'm standing there at the altar with the couple standing in front of me, I say, what God is doing today in this moment, right in front of our eyes, is he's going to create a new family. And what he's going to create is a new family from these two that represent two different families, two different storylines, two different family trees, but he's going to make them one flesh and unite them. The two become one, right? Y'all remember everything I said that day, right? No? Okay. Well, I promise that's what I say, because it's powerful, it's incredible, it's mysterious. And something like that at the wedding is happening in this Roman military officer's dining room under his roof. Cornelius said it himself, we're all here, my friends, family, relatives, because an angel told me to find you and hear what you have to say. So we're all here and we're listening in the presence of God and one another. They've already got a sense that they've walked into this home of Cornelius and they're going to leave different. They don't know how, they don't know what. But none of it would have happened had Peter not walked through the threshold. What he's doing is not a bride and a groom, but he's taking two people groups. Cornelius is represented, as we said a moment ago, of the Gentiles, the nations, the everybody, right? Peter's representative of the who? The Jewish people, which was God's particular people that ate a particular way, that lived a particular way, that looked a particular way. They were a special holy people. Do y'all know what holy means? Just a fancy Bible word for what? Whoa, set apart. You've got these two people groups, representative in Peter and Cornelius, that are about to get married in a sense. 
Because God is about to officiate these two people groups becoming one. So we've got Cornelius and his crew on bated breath listening in the presence of God. They've entered into that space knowing that whatever's going to happen is going to be different. And then Peter's on the outside of the doorway. And this is our first crossing the threshold moment. And that is this, that Peter crosses into a new table. And this is the part where you said, table? Y'all say, table? Yes, a table. And you say, well, we didn't read anything about a table in Acts chapter 10. Yes, but in Acts chapter 10, we talked about a confusing picnic. You remember that last week? Last week, Peter is hungry, waiting on lunch, and he sees a vision of a big picnic blanket being lowered from heaven. And what's on it? All kinds of things. All kinds of creepy, crawly animals that look like this and that. And they're all kinds of animals that Peter knew God told him not to eat. But what does God tell him? Uh, Get up and eat. So Peter goes, nah, this is a trick, God. Right? It's like we hid all the Halloween candy and mom and dad said, go, have some. And you're like, no, right? So here's the deal. I won't rehash that whole vision, but suffice it to say, Peter is reckoning with this new idea that all of a sudden the things he wasn't supposed to eat, he can't eat. So stay with me on this statement. Peter is standing on one side of the doorway. He said, you know what? A couple days ago, I thought that if I can't eat that, then I can't eat with that guy. If I can't eat this pig, then I can't go eat with Cornelius who's serving pork chops. You with me? But he's had two days to walk down or up to Caesarea And now he's thinking, if I can eat that, then I guess I can eat with anybody. Do you see how big of a deal this is? This is a weighted step where everything will change when he steps over that threshold. So imagine Peter. He's arrived at the doorstep. Everybody's waiting inside. And he's the guy taking a deep breath like you did at your first day on the job. Okay, this is big. You got this, dude. (laughs) And he puts his hand on the door handle because he knows that what he's doing is breaking the mold from a generational history of his people that for God reasons, for good reasons, were never to sit at a table with these kinds of folks. And he's like, am I for real about to do this? What would my great grandma think? What would King David think? What would Joshua think? And yet, he opens the door and he crosses the threshold. He had a personal history where he's looking around the the entryway and he's thinking, I've never been in a Gentile's house before. Yeah, they, they don't really have the kinds of things that I'm used to. The smells are different, Right? You don't have to show your hands, but you've had an experience where you stepped into a house of someone from another culture that has different seasonings and and different smells coming from the kitchen. They have different kinds of decorations. And this is what's happening 
to the nth degree because also Peter is walking in with a kind of transgressive like, are we sure though, God? Are we sure? That's why Peter says, look, you know that this is not normal for us. But here's the deal. He steps over because God is doing now what God has always said he would. By welcoming the other nations into the family of God. And here's how Peter articulates it. And I love, 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 love this. Do not miss this shift. But here is the shift. You ready? The shift from saying anything in verse 15. When the voice from heaven says, do not call anything unclean that God has made clean. In that vision, he's thinking about the pig and the lizards, okay? That's a thing, right? But all of a sudden, on that long walk to Cornelius' house, and after that big step over the threshold, all of a sudden, Peter gets what he really meant. And he said, what? Any one. The voice did not say any one. But Peter understands that if I can eat that, then I can eat with now. Do you understand how revolutionary this is? Do you understand that God, through a mystical vision, has rewritten and progressed to the next chapter a millennia of religious tradition? Which is why in the next chapter, Peter's going to have to go explain himself. And he's going to blame God for opening up the table to everyone. You with me on this? I know we're walking slowly through this because imagine you're hearing this for the first time in the first century. Luke is writing this and that's why he's repeating Cornelius' story again. To make sure you get that God is in the midst. You've got to make sure that you get that that shift from anything which really means anyone, sets the table for a whole new kind of family. Jesus was already pushing these boundaries when he was eating with sinners and unclean lepers and improper adulterers. Jesus was already practicing getting his followers to the table with different kinds of people because Acts is also the story of how we turn others into brothers and strangers into family. So the question is this, this is our threshold moment, number one. Who is it right now that you wouldn't want to share a table with tonight? And I'm not asking for actual answers because this is a difficult thing to suss out, right? Who is it that I don't want to share a table with? There's this concept, it's a cultural kind of uh, expression in Spain and some Latin American cultures called sobre mesa. You know what sobre means? It's like over. And y'all know what mesa means, right? It's table. So there's this idea that after you eat a meal, there's a sobre mesa. You eat dessert and then you hang out around the table, over the table. Because Aren't the best times sometimes just around the table hanging out? Amen? 
How desperately did we miss the sobre mesa element of 2020? Adam, as the extrovert, was dying for it. I'm a fan of the worship leader and artist John Mark McMillan. And he has a live album he recorded in his home state of North Carolina. Y'all know because we've sang like King of My Heart, How He Loves, and Future Past, that guy. So in this live recording, I listened to some of the songs, but I'd never heard some of the in-between talking. And in one of his in-between talking moments in this recording, he was asked, or he retells a story of how this interviewer had recently asked him, what's your greatest accomplishment? And he said, I was kind of taken aback because I don't really think in terms of what I've accomplished. He said, so I really just kind of pivoted and started to think like, What's the most important and sacred and special moment? Venues I've played, not about the records I've sold, not about the concerts and venues I've played. He said, the most important thing for me is sitting on a front porch with friends and family and new friends talking about Jesus. And he talked about how it's in those moments around the table that to raise a glass and to toast and to say cheers to someone, that tinking, that sound of glass, he said, that's everything. That's the kingdom of God to him. And I don't think that's blasphemous or sacrilegious at all because Jesus was always found around the table. So, of course, the next movement of the first generations of followers is to fling wide the invitation and say, the table is now open. How could the first church exist and welcome all nations if you had to have separate menus and you were constantly worried about what you would touch that would make you ritually, ceremonially unclean so you can't go to the temple this week? By making all foods clean, by saying there's now no more anything that's impure or unclean, which means now anyone can be invited where they are. If people are no longer impure, that means that God really can invite everyone where they are. Because Cornelius understands that if he wanted to get into God's family a week ago, he would have to convert to Judaism. But what he's about to hear is that you don't come into God's family through the Moses door, you come in through the Jesus door. And this is so, so big. So I want to read the next couple verses. After Peter kind of does his introduction, he begins to speak and he says in verse 34, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Or maybe your Bible says partiality. But he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. What's up with that? Essentially what he's saying is Cornelius, who was leaning in toward God, who was seeking after God, who was doing God-like stuff, there are now no more ethnic, geographical, or cultural barriers. Paul will take up this idea and reiterate it differently in Galatians 3, verse 28. Would you write down Galatians 3, 28? You're about to see it. We're about to read it. But we need to get how huge this is. Paul writes, 
There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Just let those words wash over you because this is in the New Testament. Now, of course, if you had gone into one of Paul's churches in Corinth or Thessalonica, you would say, hey, who here is a ethnically Jewish, you'd get like half of them raising their hands. How many of you are Gentile? You'd get the other half. How many of you are male? You'd get half of the room raised. So it's not that that just all gets erased. I believe that what's going on here is what's going on in Acts 10, that look, none of these distinctions hold any water or give you any leg up when you are in Christ, Right? So regardless of your skin color and your bank account, your ethnicity, your nationality, you're all one in Christ. When you come into Christ, that's the number one thing about you. I am in Christ, who happens to be a Gentile male. You with me on this? This is remarkable. And this is what will take the rest of the New Testament to figure out and sort out because it's this revolutionary. Later, Paul will say elsewhere, it's not on the screen, but he talks about this in 2 Corinthians. He says, we used to consider people by all these silly distinctions. We used to see people as good, bad, and indifferent, and ugly. But he says, we no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view. He says, if anyone is in Christ, what? The new creation is here. The old is gone and the new has come. None of these distinctions hold any water. This is one of the multiple reasons why in our church we're affirming of women in all levels of ministry. We see the trajectory of God throughout the Old Testament and into the New of how not always but in some ways women get elevated to places and positions of authority because I believe that these kinds of distinctions are no longer holding water. Especially when we look at Ephesians chapter 5 where you'll say, well, wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. And then I say, well, before that he says, submit to one another in Christ Jesus. We see this trajectory of God transgressing and passing boundaries and moving humanity beyond its way of organizing and dismantling and systematizing and segregating people. And he says, I'm trying to build a whole new family. And the degree to which you're still trying to categorize and rank is the degree to which you're working against what I'm after to bring the two groups into one. That's Ephesians chapter 4. But I digress. Let's get back into our second crossing the threshold moment. Because Cornelius is going to cross into a new kingdom. Cornelius is leaning in. Cornelius is listening. He has a step, but he still has one more step to take, which is why Peter comes. Peter needs to tell him about a king and a kingdom. He's been on the outside looking in. So our moment of threshold is this. How many of you right now, I'm going to give you like 10 seconds of quiet. What person in your circle of relationships comes to mind that is seeking, listening, and leaning in, but has not yet stepped over into the kingdom of God by saying yes to Jesus or yes to this kingdom community? 
Who is it? You don't have to name a name, but you can write the name. You can pray for that person. And you better be careful because the Holy Spirit might just build another bridge like he did with Peter and Cornelius with that person on one side and you on the other because like it or not, folks, here's the deal. Eventually, good news has to be shared and spoken. So what Peter does is he gospels. They had seen and God has been at work, but at some point there is a moment in which we as a church in our neighborhood need to say, hey, Jesus is Lord and he's inviting you into life with him. It's not all done by osmosis. There's a quote that's wrongly attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. You've heard it. Preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, what? Use words. That sounds kind of cool. And there's a nugget of truth in there. Because Jesus went and said, I've come to liberate the oppressed and bring good news to the poor and set captives free, all these different kinds of things. And we're called to, you know, give cups of cold water in his name and clothe the naked and feed the hungry. And so we do kingdom-like stuff, but eventually what differentiates us from the North Texas Food Bank and the American Red Cross is that we do it in the name of Jesus And eventually, we're going to need to tell somebody about Jesus. The gospel is not just meant to be declared, he gospels, to be declared. News is meant to be shared. So that's what Peter does, he gospels. One of my favorite things to do is look through the gospel stories, the evangelizing in the book of Acts. Let's look at this one here. This is one of Peter's gospel messages. I'm going to read this long thing and then we're going to wind down toward the end of our message. Make note of the kinds of things you see in his version of evangelism. You ready? Let's start in verse 36. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. Which John? John the Baptist. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And we, Peter's talking about me, James, John, Thomas, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Now he wasn't seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. I'd love to have been a part of that sobre mesa. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Oh, hey, by the way, all the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Watch this. Oh, man, I don't know what I would do as a preacher if verse 44 happened. While Peter was still speaking these words, this man didn't even get to his closing story. 
The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that's the Jewish folks who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out. Look, even on Gentiles? What? For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. Because look, guys, they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days because Peter, wow, that was wild. He gospels and God moves. What is the gospel? What? Good news that Jesus has died for our sins. Yes. What is the gospel? What? The word? Yes. What is the gospel? Jesus is Lord. Yes, the gospel is all of these things, but let me give you the gospel in one word. This is from our friend Bruxy Cavey. The gospel in one word is Jesus. The gospel in three words is Jesus is Lord. Are those words in what Peter just read? Was forgiveness of sins in what Peter just read? The death and resurrection of Jesus, 1 Corinthians 15, is that in what Peter just said? The gospel is like a symphony, okay? The gospel is like a symphony, and at the, the root level of every symphony song, if you went to the orchestra, there is a melody. And I bet that if we gave somebody some sheet music, a concert pianist could play on one piano with one hand the irreducible melody of the symphony, Yes? That melody of the symphony is Jesus. The good news is Jesus. And in three words, let's add some strings to our symphony. What about Jesus? Add some strings to the symphony, and then you see, oh, it's not just Jesus. It is that Jesus is Lord. This is um, Romans 10 that also references Isaiah 53. This is also the story of Israel, of how God is establishing a kingdom on earth through his people and a king. So we start to get the melody and some strings. Here is a summary. It's not the only summary, but here's an Adam TNC summary that may sound familiar to you. If we start to add the piano melody and the strings and the brass and the percussion, perhaps it would sound like this. The gospel is the good news that Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, okay, quick, Peter's thing, check, 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 is the reigning Lord of heaven and earth, check, and all people are invited to live in God's kingdom, and they become filled with God's spirit, and they're free from sin and death, because Peter says that there is forgiveness in his name. Later, Peter will say, there is no other name given for salvation but the name of Jesus. And what's remarkable about what Peter's doing in Cornelius' house is this. Remember Jesus of recent history from the Jerusalem times you read about that your military killed? 
Remember that Jesus of recent history? He's actually the hinge of all history. And that now, life and the Spirit of God and eternal life is found in His name. You don't enter from Moses' door. Now you turn to Jesus and enter God's family through the door of Jesus. Paul, again, in Romans chapter 1, says these words. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the what? Gentile. The third threshold moment with that verse ringing in our ears and final threshold moment is this. God crosses into a new people. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And I love how God works because he needs an audience in this moment. He needs all of these Gentile people listening on bated breath to the gospel. And before Peter even gets to the every head bowed and every eye closed, the Holy Spirit of God says, that's enough. They got it. Boom. And just so these Jewish folks that came with Peter didn't miss it. They started speaking in tongues and praising God. And they're all dumbstruck. I don't think that every conversion happens like that. But in every conversion, the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence in actual me and you and you and you. I don't think that in every conversion you begin to speak in tongues. But in this one, they did. There was something about that moment that needed to give evidence to what was happening, happening internally. So we have the Spirit filling them. We have a visible witness of a transformation. So then what happens next is what? Well, I guess we better baptize them. Because baptism is the confirmation of the transformation that God has already brought. Did you hear that? Baptism is the confirmation of the transformation that God has already brought. So the Cornelius household, we don't get all the mechanics, but we get enough that the table is open, they've taken their seat, we've seen the aftermath, and so he says, well, guess we better baptize them. Hey kids, let me talk to you about baptism for a minute. There is a moment where we need to say yes to Jesus. And you'll know we don't need to try to twist your arm. God is at work and moving. But there's going to be a moment that you might feel led to say yes. Jesus, I want to live with you now and forever. But here's the thing. In John chapter 3, Jesus talks about how that kind of yes is like being born. So raise your hand if you were born, kids. Yes? Everyone should be raising their hands because you're living and breathing right here. One of the ways I like to think about this is being born and then having a birthday party. Raise your hand if you had a birthday party at one point in your life. What's the number on this cake up here on the screen? One. Now, let me ask you this. Would we throw you a one-year-old birthday party if you ever got born? What happened if you were never born? Would you get this one-year-old birthday party? No! 
Because we don't have a baby to shove a cake in their face. Like Emma did. Emma just said, or a baby to swallow the cupcake wrapper. Because one-year-old Emma was a chunk that ate half of her cupcake wrapper. (laughs) The point I'm making is this. you got to be born before you have a birthday party. And in our church... We trust the work of God. We trust the work of the Spirit that is inviting the little children to come to Him. We are discipling pre-disciples. Because at some point we trust that our children, our students, our adults that come into our midst are going to respond. And when they say yes, they're born anew. They're born into the life of God. The Holy Spirit comes and takes residence within them. And when we see that movement, we see that transformation, we affirm their yes and we throw them a birthday party. Amen? And that's when we baptize and celebrate their entrance into a new kingdom. Why? Because God is always crossing over into new people. Amen? He is a transgressing God and he loves a good party. Amen? That's why he's always eating. That's why he's always inviting other people to the table. So may we be a people crossing into new tables to reclaim Sobre Mesa in 2021. As more of us are vaccinated and as cases decline, let us reclaim the table and invite all people into our literal and spiritual tables to share stories, to share memories, and to make new ones as we grow into a family more and more united. May we cross into the kingdom of God. And for those of you, your threshold moment may be to say yes. God has said yes to you in Christ. There's forgiveness. There's new life. But you've got to say yes back. The invitation has been extended. There is a seat at the table. It's waiting on your RSVP. For others of us, our threshold moment is to see and follow God into new people and new places. Frankly, some of us just need to walk away from the dark rooms and into new life in repentance. However, you need to respond in whatever threshold is resonating in your heart. Now is the moment that we can do so together. Just as Jesus The word of God was sent into the world to heal and redeem. So God sends you into the world this day to be light and love, healing and hope. Go now to be light for the world. Cross the thresholds in front of you so that you might bring peace where there was division. Reconciliation where there was disconnection. Light where there was darkness. And may the grace and peace of God the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sustainer come upon you this day and remain with you always. Amen, and go in peace.